My name is Ashley Turner. I am a domestic violence survivor and I went from being the victim and poor me about my domestic violence to being an award-winning professional and saying fuck you to my adversity and instead using it as fire in my belly. Because I am a big believer that we need to be the change that we want to see in our world and in our lives. And the only way we can do that is by taking responsibility for our lives and taking responsibility for adversity to move forward, to heal, to empower ourselves and empower each other. So let's get straight into the podcast where we say fuck you to adversity and we use it as fire in our bellies. This week's Empowered Conversation is with Kai, who's all the way in America, based in Texas. He is sharing his story about transgender surgery, going from what we would say female to a male. His journey and his story is so inspiring, yet heartbreaking. He uh, also survived domestic violence. Um, He's been homeless and has just gone through hell and back. And his story will truly move you. And let me just say, I was so curious about this because I've never had a conversation with someone that has gone through this transgender experience before. So I had a curious mind. I asked him lots of questions. So I'm sure uh, you would be able to get the answers that you would want to ask of him as well. He was like an open book and I just absolutely loved having this podcast episode with him. So let's get into it. Welcome to Empowered Ashkai. Thank you so much for accepting my um, invite to be a guest on today's show. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really happy to get started. I know. And you're all the way in America, aren't you? I am. I live in Texas. And you can tell by that accent. I'm far away from Australia. (laughs) I don't have a strong Texas dialect, but it does come out uh, occasionally. So, uh, you know, I'm sure it sounds different than what uh, most people are used to. Yeah, no. so we can definitely tell you're not from Australia. Let's just say that. Um, but honestly, your story today is so powerful. Um, I'm going to learn so much from it as well because I don't know a lot about this particular topic. One area I'm all aligned with, especially, um, and we'll get into that, but one area I'm not, and that's why I'm so curious and I love it. And I'm sure that all my guests will be like, oh my gosh, thank you, Ashley, for interviewing such um, an empowering person like this. So we'll get straight into it. So can you take us through your triumph over adversity story? Like, what's that adversity story that you want to share today? Sure. So, I am transgender, and I'm actually non-binary trans, so I don't align necessarily with a binary gender. So, when you're thinking about binary gender, it's male, female, or man, woman. And so, anyone outside of that binary system is going to generally be under that non-binary umbrella. And in that, there's going to be people that are more masculine or more feminine or don't identify with either of those uh, traits. Uh, and so I'm generally a more trans-masked person. Uh, so I was, when I was born, uh, the doctors assigned me female at birth, and I was raised as a girl. But I, over time, realized that really makes me uncomfortable. I don't feel like a girl. I really feel overwhelmed with the expectations of femininity and that that uh, societal role. And so that really got me thinking, but because I'm not a binary gender, because a lot of trans people, they say, actually, I'm not a girl, I'm a boy. And there's that really clear understanding there. I wasn't quite sure. And so it took me a really, really long time to figure that out. And because non-binary people aren't really that visible in uh, what little trans representation there is out there, I was even more confused, and it even took even more time to accept myself. So I realized over time, especially once I started uh, transitioning and I started uh, hormonal replacement therapy, so I inject myself with testosterone every single week, and I've done that for over two and a half years now. And so you can tell, obviously, my voice is very masculine. I have masculine features now. I have facial hair. Um, I have a much more muscular structure. Uh, I pass as a male 100% of the time now. But 
there was years where I was really un- not understanding what I, I was, what my gender was, if I had a gender at all, and what I felt comfortable with. And as I took testosterone, I realized, okay, I'm much more comfortable being masked. This feels right. This feels right. This feels right. And just with every passing day, I felt more and more comfortable in a masculine presentation. And now uh, I am totally comfortable with strangers and everyone just assuming me being male, using he, them pronouns, all of that. But for years, I used they, them pronouns. And uh, prior to transition, I tried to just live as an androgynous person. But unfortunately, most people don't really understand that. And switching pronouns at that very least is very difficult for many people. So uh, when I say cis people, that's anyone that's the same gender as what they were assigned at birth. So if you were assigned female at birth and you grew up saying, yeah, I'm a girl, that means you're a cis woman or a cis female. So I'm not cis because I was assigned a certain uh, sex and gender. And I said, actually, I don't think that's right for me. So that means I'm trans. So I, I you know, whether I transition or not, I'm still trans. Uh, it's just that not identifying with what you were assigned at birth. So there's, in that umbrella, there's so many different types of trans people. You know, every single person has their own perspective and gender and identity. And that's what's so beautiful about the queer community, about the LGBTQ plus uh, community. Like, there's just infinite uh, individual beauty and resplendent queerness out there that is so wonderful to be able to find in yourself and to learn from queer people. Even if you're cis and you're heterosexual, you can see so much inspiration in queer stories and that understanding of who someone truly is and the acceptance of that and then finding empowerment within themselves and being able to have that journey because I think with every single person, we're all on this journey to understand ourselves better and queer people have an extra adversity in the world of not being that assumed binary or that assumed uh, heterosexual, heteronormative culture and so we're suddenly presented with the, the normality of these things and then saying, I don't think that's right for me. And that journey and that struggle is always so difficult, uh, or it can be difficult. You know, it shouldn't be difficult. It should be uh, celebrated. And that heteronormity, heteronormativity uh, shouldn't be assumed. And uh, your culture should be far more accepting of, of people. And, and that would alleviate so much of that struggle for folks. Uh, and so being visible, being a strong individual that conquered uh, so much adversity as well as you know, just being trans and having a good life and uh, being the best person I can be, you know, being visible online is so important to me because when I was baby trans, not understanding who I was with and sometimes seeing trans mass people online and saying, that that feels right. I feel this strange longing. And the more I looked at the trans community online, the more I looked at people that were visible online, the more I felt empowered to say, I think that that's me. And what are the steps that I can take in order to be myself? And reaching out to those people and uh, being able to be inspired by their stories and in turn being able to inspire others, you know, that's what it's all about. And that's why I'm, I'm on here and uh, to help uh, inspire folks, not just queer people, not just trans people, but everyone that's questioning who they truly are and wants to find that empowerment within their true self. I love that. And I was getting goosebumps when you were talking because I think it's just powerful but what you said was when you were younger. So how old were you when you started going, hmm, I don't think I'm a girl, this doesn't feel right? It's so strange to look back and, and suddenly you'll have little breakthroughs. Well, you'll say, oh, this happened, and I had no idea at the time, but that was me exploring a different gender or a, just a, a totally different presentation or expectation and exploring that. You know, just the other day, just thinking about Halloween, 
Uh, I was a little, little kid, probably six. I wanted a pirate birthday party, and I was able to be a tough pirate, and my parents allowed me to, if you burn a cork, it gets really ashy, and so you can make yourself a five o'clock shadow if you rub a cork on you. And so I did that as, a, as when I wanted to be a pirate, and I realized such a transcendent joy there that's so clear in my memory, and I just had that flashback recently because Halloween is coming up, and I said, oh, that was a trans experience. That was me suddenly seeing my true self and not really understanding that's who I was, but just finding joy in that. And little things like that, you'll look back and you'll say, oh, I was trans the whole time. I just didn't know it until much, much later. And part of it, it was it just representation is so limited in our culture, especially when I was growing up. You know, uh, when I was a teen, it was the early 2000s, and there was almost no trans representation. And, and the one sometimes that there, there was, it was not positive and it was generally with uh, trans feminine people so trans women and so I didn't really understand what I was feeling was was possible and what uh, transition was and all of that so I think there's there's all of these little things that I I love to dress up like a man I loved uh, when I was in theater growing up and in uh, high school and college I always chose masculine roles whenever I could even though I had no idea that I was trans, they just felt right. They felt I, I freer. They felt more fun to me. Uh, so there's that lifelong looking back of, oh, okay, that's, that was that. That was that. But uh, I think when I finished college, I suddenly was met uh, because I went to college for acting in Los Angeles. And so that industry is, and it's gotten better recently, but it can be very toxic and very binary. And especially for women in the industry, it can be exclusively sexualizing and exclusively about their appearance and, and their value as a actor is generally just in their appearance rather than their abilities. And I found that so oppressive and so anxiety producing. When I was finally in the thick of the industry, I said, oh, it feels terrible, and I don't really know why. I know that it's frustrating, but I think it's even beyond that. I think that I don't feel comfortable being seen in that way because I'm not that person. And so then I started to have, because I was such a, a passionate student, and I was just really, really uh, top A, overachiever, and that's what I only thought about, and then once I graduated and I suddenly didn't have that structure, I said, oh, there's all of this time to think about who I truly am, and oh, I think, I think I, I'm not a girl. I don't know what I am, but I, I think I know that, and then it was years to discover that I was trans-mask, and part of it was I was in a relationship at the time, and when I revealed, I think I'm feeling these feelings, I think I'm trans, what would you do if I transitioned? He flat out said, well, I wouldn't be with you anymore. I wouldn't love you anymore. And I was really young. I was 20, 21 maybe. And I was heavily codependent. I had cripplingly low self-esteem, all, all due to me not really understanding who I was. And I felt, oh, okay, if I transition, I'll be unlovable. And so that really, I just stuffed that deep down. And I ignored all of those big old red flags because I was naive. And I suffered for many more years after that, not really realizing the, the overt abuse and then the subtle gap that just him slowly trying to force me into the role that he wanted me to be, putting putting me in that pedestal of this is my perfect girlfriend rather than this is who I love and I celebrate them for everything that they truly And so that really was very difficult for me to accept my true self because everyone around me at the time didn't. And when I changed my name or, or even I asked, just for a shortening of my birth name, 
so that it would be a little bit more androgynous, he even refused that, uh, or refused my pronouns or anything like that. And it was very, very frustrating for me. And when I finally uh, broke up with him, I felt so empowered that I finally did it, but also it was, I felt so lost and I really maintained that fear of if I transition, will I be unlovable? And so I waited, I dragged my feet even longer. I jumped into another relationship right away. And part of it was that uh, leaving that previous relationship left me homeless. Uh, I was sleeping in the back uh, dock room of my work, and I had black mold poisoning from that apartment, and so I was really, really ill. Uh, my beloved cat also had black mold poisoning, and he was deathly ill. He was literally dying uh, in that back room, and I was I begged him, please don't leave me alone because everyone else has left me, and he did, and uh, he died in my arms in that back room while I was homeless, while I still had black mold poisoning, while I was the deepest, darkest point in my life. And I pushed forward, and I took one step forward at a time, and then I was able to find uh, an apartment and start putting my life back together, and then I uh, entered another relationship, and it was somehow so exciting and thrilling and, and hopeful. He was he was everything that uh, my other boyfriend wasn't. And then there was sometimes these little things where he would get strangely angry over something and not be able to let it go. Or he would get a little frustrated and then blame me for that frustration, even though I had nothing to do with it. And at the time, I was... I was like, okay, well, this is a little weird, but we'd already started moving in together, and partly because I could barely afford the apartment by myself, and so it was almost like a financial necessity in order to have it. And so that, I think, forced me into allowing the abuse to escalate and continue, even though I would de-escalate whenever possible, but... Ultimately, he had had a brain injury and uh, a couple of years prior, and 90% of the time he was wonderful, but that 10%, anytime he would get angry, he would, he would fix it and blow up. And he had also had an enormous amount of childhood abuse, so he had scars on his face from his father beating him, and he had had a really traumatic childhood. And so he was starting to project those energies onto me and uh, really fall into anger patterns. And so it would continue to escalate. He would end up uh, physically abusing me, screaming, shaking me, hitting me, spitting on me. And uh, when I finally had enough, he, uh, I, I, I went out and I was at the beach and I just sat and I stared out at the beach for hours and hours and I really worked on myself and I said, go, uh, I, I will survive. I will do my best to uh, work as hard as I can in order to afford my apartment by myself. This is too much for me to bear, and I wanted to be strong. And so I came back and I said, uh, I need you to move out. And he had a meltdown. He uh, took a knife and he threatened me with it. He threatened to kill himself. He stabbed our cutting board in half. He broke uh, the cabinetry, and I was stoic. I just stood there. I knew that if I did anything, it could escalate it. And I just stayed completely still and silent and waited for him to stop. And I was so overwhelmed. I actually, I actually gave him a, a second chance because I was an idiot. <laughs> and you know, we, we just have to forgive ourselves for that because, you know, you, you love them even despite all of that chaos because that 90% of the time it was good, right? And so I did give him that second chance. And, of course, he blew it again. And so uh, I was like, okay, 
know, this is horrible. And I was also really frustrated because he also didn't want me to transition, mm-hmm. even though he was he was actually accepting with uh, my pronouns. He was he was using they them. He was uh, actually really really great about the being non-binary. But uh, I couldn't. I, I realized with all of the that trauma just shifting me, just pushing me forward. I said, okay, I allowed this to happen. I allowed this to continue because. I didn't feel empowered and confident in my true self. And so I need to do this for me. I need to finally break free of what other people expect me to be and be who I truly am. And so I said, okay, you know, uh, being non-binary and doing vacant pronouns, most people don't even respect that. And it's really painful for me anytime that people use she, her for me, people assume me as a girl. And that is so overwhelming to me. Clearly, uh, you know, I'm, I'm entering into relationships because I'm, I'm not who I truly am and I'm allowing them to not be healthy. I need to be healthy first. And so I was able to say, okay, I'm going to transition. You need to move out. And then I ended up, uh, going on testosterone maybe a month later, going to, the therapy and uh, being diagnosed with gender dysphoria and slowly moving towards my future. And uh, so then I, I moved back home in order to save money for top surgery. So with uh, AFAB people assigned female at birth, uh, you know, with breast, generally people want to have their breast tissue removed in order to either be just more androgynous looking or to, to have full masculine presentation. So, I saved money uh, at home and I paid out of pocket in order to have a double incision mastectomy and have my breast tissue removed. And that was really a huge step forward in me saying, oh, okay, I'm, this is, this is truly uh, a irreversible action. This is my leap forward into my new self and I can't be happier about it. And I'm just finally finding truth in myself and finding that courage to press forward. And so it's been a year and a half since I had that top surgery and I'm now the healthiest I've ever been, the strongest I've ever been and able to find who I truly am in relationships and have that confidence. I'm now in a really healthy, beautiful relationship uh, with a gay man, just how I always dream. <laughs> so uh, it's just so freeing to suddenly, okay, this is, here's all these green flags rather than all of these red flags and how far I've come since those dark times. And I just want to encourage anyone that has gone through that kind of struggle and allowed things to happen, but also just, the chaos of life has heaped these struggles on top of you. You know, you can get out of it. You can pull yourself. You, even if you have to claw inches by inch, you will be able to, to move out of that situation. And it's really hopeful to, to believe that because I had so many instances where I felt trapped and I felt there's nothing I can do. You know, this has continued for this long or I don't see a way out, but there really always is. And there's always someone willing to help, something that you can do, even if it's a tiny step forward, there's always a, a way to move forward. So uh, it's it's a challenge. It's, it's not fun sometimes, but uh, you can be who you truly are and be loved for truly who you are and being queer, being abused, all of that, that does not make you unlovable. It just means that you maybe have to work harder to find that true love, but it's going to be better and you're going to be better for it because you're who you are instead of forcing yourself into an expectation or the ideal relationship.
citizenship rather than finding what actually is beautiful and, and works for you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and if people could see my face, because this is like a podcast, so they can't see my face. I'm like screaming like a little girl, my facial expressions. And going, oh my god! Especially with that domestic violence bit, when you you said you took him back, I had this face, and you're laughing because you know exactly what I was thinking. We've all been there as domestic violence survivors. You think they'll change? Let me just tell you right now, they will never fucking change. Okay, period. So do not do a second, third, fifth chance. It will never happen. So you're learning from myself and Kai right now. Okay, so let's just save you that pain. One thing, I have literally wrote down so many questions that we're going to get through and so many powerful quotes that we're going to use um, on social media. But the first thing I wanted to ask you is, once you decided that you wanted to take the surgery, how did your, your family and friends react to you going, hey, I've figured it all out. It's taken me a while, but I got there. This is what I'm going to do. How did they react? With my immediate family, it's definitely been a challenge because my I only have one older brother, and so my parents were really stuck on me fulfilling that role of daughter. Mm. And so they had all of these hopes and dreams for me, and them essentially grieving their daughter. They didn't have a daughter anymore, that they had to say had someone who, who actually wanted to find their own destiny rather than follow along the lines of what they had hoped. You know, that can be so challenging for, for parents, uh, uh, and especially for parents, I think, that have only one of a particular type of child, and they have all of these, these expectations on that child. So I think they, they're still processing that to some degree, but what really helped was as soon as I moved back home, we actually went into a family therapy session and helping facilitate conversation because we have English roots. We don't really deal with conflict super well. We tend to just sort of sweep things under the rug or just ignore certain things and just allow them to simmer underneath. Uh, and so having someone facilitate, okay, this, we're, we're actually going to talk about this every single week. And everyone's going to have their say, and everyone's going to listen. You know that was really, really helpful to get over that initial hurdle of them being able to truly understand and hear what I was feeling at the time. So I definitely recommend that for anyone that's struggling with any kind of transition or uh, understanding their queer identity or anything like that. It, you know, therapy is is just so, so helpful, but group therapy in situations where is so powerful and can mediate understanding and that processing time of people understanding what the change is going to be. I love that. No, that's, that's what I thought, how they would react. Um, and then you hear some, you know, see, you hear some stories about when, um, I'll take an example of my uh, my friend. He's gay. When he just opened up about being gay, um, his mum straight away went, nah, shit, really? Like, she just knew. She knew before him. Um, and that was more like, oh, okay, cool. Why did you not say anything kind of thing? But it's always interesting to see, hear the other side. That's more of a positive response. And your one was probably more a negative lens, but you're getting there. There's progress, which I love. Um, and they they want to go on that journey with you. They didn't just go, nah, fuck that. I'm not accepting it. They went, okay, let us take us, you know, work together on this. So I love that. And since that you, you know, you've had your surgery and everything like that, can you take us through, I guess, the positive and negative responses you've had from people? Sure. I mean. When I was on binary, I had way more negative responses because people thought me an inconvenience. They said, oh, they them pronouns? Yeah, I'm not going to do that. That's too much effort for me to think about those language that I'm using. When you, you look like a girl, so that's just too hard for me to wrap my brain around. And that dismissiveness was so frustrating and so alienating and isolating. And a primary reason why I said, oh, 
actually, I think I'm never truly going to be happy unless I start hormone therapy because no one's really going to be able to accept me. And I think even in recent years, non-binary representation and non-binary acceptance is getting so much better. And I hope that one day we'll just assume a genderless society and not have all of these expectations and not have those pressures for non-binary people that don't want to transition, that either medically can't or just don't want to, you know, that is so challenging. And they're in this perpetual state of limbo, essentially, of people not really understanding or respecting them. And, and people who don't fully align with a binary presentation, you know, people who are gender non-conforming, or they maybe transition late in life, and so it's hard to undo, you know, uh, first puberty hormones and everything like that. So maybe they're going to really struggle their entire the rest of their life in being able to pass as a binary gender. And so they go through an enormous amount of struggle as well. And being so understanding with that is, is so, so important. Uh, and being accepting of everyone because I think with queer representation, we're able to say, oh, okay, people don't align in this cookie-cutter, black-and-white world, and we're actually so diverse, and every single person is an individual and deserving of respect, not just what if they align with my expectations of what this person should be. It's about loving and appreciating everyone for who they truly are and respecting their identity, even if they look totally different than how they're asking you to uh, believe how they are. It's your responsibility to say, okay, yes, I'm going to use this pronoun for you. I'm going to respect your new name. Uh, I'm going to just treat you with love and respect because that is so, so powerful. But uh, when I transitioned, started doing hormone therapy, I actually had overwhelming uh, uh, respect and love and acceptance. It was really interesting to see that because I think people understand binary transitions they don't really understand non-binary people. And so I think there's that level of respect there. But also as a trans mask person, I'm very privileged because I'm transitioning into the more accepted gender, essentially. You know, we, we live in a hyper-masculine society where generally the feminine is demonized and not respected as much. And so it's easier for people to to respect you and when you present within that uh, ideal role of society. So it's super weird to see now, oh, okay, I used to be totally uh, dismissed or certainly, I mean, especially in Los Angeles, I was catcalled constantly in Los Angeles. If I was alone on the street, no matter what I had, gross sexual things shouted at me or said to me or I was followed. Just, it's incredibly scary. And of course, I haven't been catcalled once since I transitioned. And that simple thing is just so freeing because you're like, oh, I don't have to wear headphones out. I don't have to feel vulnerable and uh, afraid of people out. And that little thing, you're suddenly like, oh, all cis men or most cis men feel like this all the time. They don't have to worry about going into a situation and somebody ignoring what they're saying because now I understand, oh, I was ignored by this type of person and now I go in and I have this same type of people saying sir and respecting me. And it's a really strange thing because essentially I've lived two different lifetimes. One, being a marginalized member of society, and one being a very privileged member of society. And so it's super surreal to see that I'm actually more respected now uh, as a trans man than I was ever as a, as a girl. Holy shit. And I love that you've got that perspective now because, you know, we, we've come a long way, especially with, you know, treating women, you know, equal, equality and stuff like that. But just to hear that, there's a huge shift in our culture from your experience, your from you know, from a woman and going to more the masculine side of things, that it's still there. Like it's it's something that we've still got to address and you gotta work on. So like, thank you for that perspective. And 
I'm glad that you have more respect now. <laughs> You'll be heard. <laughs> right. It's still weird, though. And especially in Texas, those old Texas oh. men certainly treat you different when you're uh, masculine presenting versus a uh, fine little pretty young thing. And it's super gross. <laughs> so, it's still weird sometimes to, to experience a total alternative. Wow. I love that. You've lived many lives then throughout all that. Um, key thing that you've been talking about and it's come throughout your whole messaging is around self-acceptance, self-love, everything like that. So I think that's a part of any adversity. Um, can you take us through that? How you went from, cause I know, you know, as humans, when we don't feel aligned with our purpose and who we are, that little light that's shining us through and we've got to get back on track. How did you, go through that journey of accepting who you are, loving who you are, and ultimately finding your partner now and how he accepted and loved you for who you are as well. It's been a long time. I mean, I initially started feeling those, oh, I think I'm trans feelings when I was maybe 21 or 22, and I didn't transition or start hormonal therapy until I was, uh, almost 27. Mm -hmm. So there was a long period of either just washing those feelings deep down or moving beyond and then finally coming to terms with everything. And uh, it's been a strange, strange journey. Uh, can you remind me of, of your question? <laughs> <laughs> your your self-love acceptance and then your partners. <laughs> oh, okay. Goodness gracious. All right. So... <laughs> That self-love acceptance just, I mean, it took me so long because I really was in deep, dark, self-loathing and crippling depression and anxiety over anything socially because I was like, okay, these are all of these things that I have to do in order to be an accepted woman. And I, if I don't follow these perfect steps, if I'm not truly perfect in this way, I'm, like I said, I would, I feel unlovable or I feel like I'm not worthy of respect or, or power. And so taking, going from that and going to the point where I am now of being my own person and feeling confident and being able to speak my truth and, and be visible and do the things that I need for self-love, uh, being healthy, being vegan, exercising every day, uh, meditating, yoga, all of these things that I know now, this helps me on my journey of mental health and of physical health and self-acceptance and taking those time, that time for myself. Because that I lived my life for other people. I was that perfect child that did everything perfect. You know, I got those straight A's. I overachieved at school. I made sure that I never messed up. Uh, I did an enormous amount of extracurricular activities. Uh, we have uh, advanced placement in, in um, California and Texas, which is like advanced classes. Uh, and, and you do every advanced placement course that you could uh, in high school. And like in college, you know, I did, did the most I could. And I just, was always looking for those extrinsic rewards and that extrinsic uh, approval of my performance and not really ever feeling confident in who I was intrinsically of love in myself without having to hustle so much for outside approval. So going from that, it's just been a slow progress of, okay, this makes me feel better, so I'm going to keep doing this. And this kind of action just helps me feel more confident. Uh, you know, just taking care of my skin and exercising and doing these little things just cumulatively are an act of self-love and that helps me find confidence and, and toxic relationships as well and forgiving yourself for allowing those things to happen in the past and, and taking them as a learning experience that's so difficult to do but 
finding that self-love because you have to have self-certain and so then being able to just find that and in my relationships just teaching myself from those relationships and and allowing them to be learning experiences rather than fixating on them as a okay is this a forever person is this a forever person just saying okay what can i learn from this person how can i grow from these experiences and when I wasn't even looking, when I was just working on myself, I had uh, my my boyfriend John slide in my DMs and he <laughs> on Instagram, and we just started talking. And it was just an instantaneous spark of love and energy and respect, and I felt all of these strange excitement, and and it was a really strange experience because I had not really trusted anyone for many, many years because of all of my trauma. And even now, something will come back and it'll be like, oh, that, I, I'm pretty sure I haven't gotten over that. I'm projecting some, some previous trauma onto something that you just did. And that's on me. And it, you're, you didn't mean anything by it. And, so being able to express that and say, okay, this made me feel really weird. And then him saying, oh, okay, I won't do that anymore. And I respect that. And I love you anyway. <laughs> you know, all of that, just suddenly somebody taking everything that is a challenge and surprising me with how good he can be rather than be that consistent disappointment <laughs> where, okay, I know that he's probably going to flip out for this reason. Instead, it, no matter what, I know that he'll accept me and be patient and loving. And suddenly being in that kind of relationship is surreal at first because you keep waiting for the other boot to drop mm -hmm. of just, uh, is this a fantasy? Uh, but it's so empowering and beautiful. And when you're suddenly in that, every little thing made me emotional. You know, even just because uh, we started online, we live a thousand miles away from each other. So I, every six weeks or so, I, I get to go visit him. Uh, but just the first time I even, because we had texted for, for a month before, and I just, first time I heard his voice, I started crying. Because there's just little things that you don't really uh, think about. But like, just suddenly, slowly being exposed to someone over this course of time and find yourself getting more and more hopeful and more and more uh, excited about possibilities, but still understanding, okay, I'm actually okay with who I am. I don't have to have this relationship to survive. And we're, we just happen to be better and uh, more powerful together and grow together as, as, as people uh, and alongside each other. And that's been so, so wonderful. And, exciting and uh, I can't wait to see how I can continue to grow in this relationship as, as well as we can grow together and uh, you know just I wasn't even looking and just, just fell into my lap essentially and uh, very lucky that that happened but uh, it, can, it can happen to anybody. What I love about that story is you've broken your cycle so normally if you don't heal um, and you don't work on yourself, you don't really understand your value, self-worth, you're going to keep attracting those domestic violence sort of perpetrators. And you did that sort of twice because you didn't you know, love yourself and really accept who you are. And now that you've done the fucking work, you're working yourself, you accept yourself, and now you've attracted that level of standard that you deserve. So that is the key message for all of that. It's, you have to break the cycle and it starts with you. Because no one else is going to fix you except you. Like, I'll tell you that right now. If there was, I would be a, a billionaire if I figured that one out. So, I, yeah. Anyone else. You can only fix yourself. <laughs> exactly. The only person you can fix. My two final questions for your, uh, yourself is, number one, what advice would you give yourself from who you are today and to the person if you had to start this journey all over again? What's one piece of advice you'd give yourself? Oh, gosh. There's so many things that I can say. I mean, I made so many mistakes 
and me just literally saying, hey, uh, you're trans early on so that that little kernel of truth could be in there and I could probably have avoided a lot of years of pain and struggle. Uh, that in itself would probably have alleviated an enormous amount of my anxiety and depression and the uh, lack of confidence and all of these and as possible because if I had known as a kid that I would have people saying, oh, okay, all of this, all of your anxiety, you being just completely overwhelmed with these certain things, and cried when your mother started talking about puberty with you, there's probably a reason for that. You know, little things like that, where if we are, have a more comprehensive understanding of what trans youth go through and an understanding that we are trans members, that we are feeling these feelings, even if we don't really understand what they are, and having more understanding of the, that reality and being able to protect and empower trans kids to make those decisions early in life that can help alleviate a lifetime or, uh, you know, in my case, you know, a decade of pain and struggle because that process is so difficult. So many trans people, I feel like we're a decade behind in many cases of life because we've spent so much time not understanding who we are and in this strange cycle of either self-abuse or external abuse or, uh, you know, just internal transphobia or external transphobia and uh, not uh, understanding who you are doesn't allow you to confidently move forward and be a contributing beautiful person to the world. And so being able to understand that early on, I think, is so, so important. Having safe places uh, for everyone, uh, not just queer people, but, but everyone being able to accept everyone as they are and, and who they can be, you know, all of that would alleviate, I think, a lot of pain and struggle from the world. Because once we understand who we are, we're able to stand in that truth and say, you know what, this is what I want, and this is not acceptable, and this is the way I want to be treated, and if you won't treat me the way that I want to be, then I'm going to move on. And we don't have that cycle of, oh, maybe a second chance kind of uh, scenario. It's, we have to give ourselves as many chances as we need, but if you know somebody doesn't uh, allow us to do that, then we need to move on for our own benefit and, and our own power. I think that's powerful advice. And I love that you just said I would have got a decade of my life back if I knew. I love that. That's hilarious. Um, my final quote for you is, oh, my final quote, my final question is, what's your empowering quote that you live by? Mm, oh, gosh, there's so many. But I think, and I'm a big cartoon nerd, so I love children's media and, and it's, I think, simplifies the human experience and has so many hopeful messages and, and there's a film, an old Disney film called uh, Visa Robinson that the primary mantra of that film is keep moving. And so that's always in the back of my mind when something is, is a struggle, it's that uh, if you're in hell, you've got to keep moving. Otherwise, you'll stay in hell. You've got to keep moving forward. Maybe you'll be able to get out of it eventually. And so that little kernel of, of truth in the back of my mind, I think, is always when I feel stuck or I feel like my, my progress has slowed. I, it's full of forgiveness, saying, you know, your failures happen, but you can keep moving forward. You can learn from them and move on, you know, uh, it's, I think, a really empowering mantra of there is hope. Mm -hmm. 
and also there is a future. You don't get stuck in the past and, you know, the present's only present right now, but you got the future that you got to look forward to. I love that. I love that quote and I love it. It was from that, that movie as well because Disney movies are the best. <laughs> Let's just face it. So I always allow my guests to ask me a couple of questions because I've just interviewed you like a bloody in-flight, you know, school kid trying to, or someone to apply for a job. So do you have any questions for me before we wrap it up? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, do you have any confusion about uh, the trans experience or queer for people or is there anything that you feel that I didn't touch on that uh, you'd love uh, a little bit more information on? Honestly, I've learned so much from this. Um, it's always, it's one of those topics where I didn't know much about it and that's because I haven't had exposure to a person that's gone through that experience. Like I've dealt with, you know, the lesbians and gay element, but I've never had that exposure to the other side. So You've answered a lot more questions for my curious little mind. Um, now you've you've literally you've taught me so much about this process that I know that my audience will learn so much as well. Um, and I always love hearing you know a rock bottom story that just thrives after all their adversity. It's something that just gets me going hearing that. And I can tell you're just going to keep flourishing in life. You've had your bad shit. Now it's time to <laughs> thrive in life and make the most of your next decade. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I love that. So that's it. That's all the questions I have for you. Um, I'm pretty sure that I could speak to you about another five hours, um, but I'll stop it there because my audience will be like, what the hell, Ashley, we don't need to talk about this for like four hours. I'm so excited to share your story. Like, oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much. I'm absolutely delighted. And uh, thank you for being my first podcast. Ah! It was such a uh, wonderful experience. And I really hope that it can help people. Perfect. No, thank you so much. And have a good rest of your night. Thank you so much for listening to this Empower With Us podcast. I hope it has literally inspired you, motivated you to say F you to your adversity as well. For those domestic violence survivors out there, I have just launched a free ebook for you called Domestic Violence Survivor to Thriver, and you can grab your free copy now at my website, www.empowerdash.com. All you have to do is become a VIP Empowered Warrior, log into the members area, and that free ebook is all yours. Keeping in mind, even if you're not a domestic violence survivor, you can also use these tips and tricks to overcome your adversity and change your mindset to change your life. Thank you so much for listening and remember to stay empowered because empowered people need to be the change that they want to see in the world and in their life.